Motasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Uttang Dhammang Sangang Namasami So here's some sections from the Two kinds of thought sutta, the 19th discourse of the Majima Nikaya. I'll just read some sections from it. This is occurs before the Buddha's enlightenment, so he's still struggling um, to practice, to find a way through. Before my enlightenment, it occurred to me, suppose that I divided my thoughts into two classes. I said on one side thoughts of sense desire, thoughts of ill will, thoughts of cruelty. Set on the other side thoughts of renunciation, thoughts of non-ill will and thoughts of non-cruelty. As I abided thus diligent, ardent and resolute, thought of sense desire arose in me. I understood this thought leads to my affliction, to others' affliction, to the affliction of both. It obstructs wisdom, causes difficulties, and leads away from Nibbana. When I consider this leads to my own affliction, it subsided in me. When I consider this leads to others' affliction, it subsided in me. When I consider this leads to the affliction of both, it subsided in me. When I consider this obstructs wisdom, causes difficulties and leads away from Nibbana, it subsided in me. <clears throat> so whenever a thought of senses I arose in me, I abandoned it, removed it and did away with it. Similarly with a thought of cruelty and a thought of ill will, uh, recognising it lead to one's, my own affliction, the affliction of others and the affliction of both obstructs wisdom, causes difficulties and leads away from Nibbana. I abandoned it. <clears throat> A thought of renunciation arose in me. This does not lead to my own affliction, to others' affliction or the affliction of both. It aids wisdom, does not cause difficulties and leads to Nibbana. If I think and ponder upon this thought, even for a night, even for a day, even for a night and a day, I see nothing to fear from it. But, with excessive thinking and pondering, I might tire my body. When the body is tired, the mind becomes strained. When the mind is strained, it's far from concentration. So I steadied my mind internally, quieted it, brought it to singleness and concentrated it. Why is that? So that my mind should not be strained. <clears throat> Tireless energy was aroused in me and unremitting mindfulness was established. The body was tranquil and untroubled. 
my mind concentrated and unified. Quite secluded from sense pleasures, secluded from unwholesome states, I entered on, abided in the first jhana. He goes on through to his own awakening. <clears throat> Suppose that in a wooded range there was a great low-lying marsh near which a large herd of deer lived. Then a man appeared desiring their ruin, harm and bondage, and he closed off the safe and good path that led to their happiness, and he opened up a false path. And he put out a decoy and set up a dummy so that the large herd of deer might later come upon calamity, disaster and loss. Another man came desiring their good welfare and protection and he reopened the safe and good path that led to the happiness and he closed off the false path. He removed the decoy and destroyed the dummy so the large herd of deer might later come to growth, increase and fulfilment. I have given this simile in order to convey a meaning. The meaning is this. The great low-lying marsh is a term for sense pleasures. The large herd of deer is a term for beings. The man destroying their ruin, harm and bondage is a term for Mara, the evil one. The false term, the false path, is a term for the wrong eightfold path. Wrong view, wrong intention, wrong speech wrong action, wrong livelihood, wrong effort, wrong mindfulness, and wrong concentration. A decoy is a term for delight and lust. A dummy is a term for ignorance. The man desiring their good welfare and protection is a term for the Tathagata. The safe and good path that leads to their happiness is a term for the noble eightfold path, that is right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness and right concentration. So as with these uh, discourses, there's uh, many things there that touched on sometimes in brief and sometimes in more detail. And of course we're dealing with the English translation of a Pali, and I think it's a, it's a fine translation as far as translations go. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but... Um, <laughs> I would suggest, for example, when he says a thought of renunciation, you're talking about a, a mind stream, not just a single thought, but a whole train of thought, a pattern of thought. This is significant, I think, because sometimes we get into the specific points of thought without realizing, actually, I'm quite negative. You know. I'm seeing that's not correct, that's wrong, why is he late, she's doing this. They're all, but my underlying mind stream is one negative, critical. And because the, the particular <coughs> points have a certain accuracy to them, we don't necessarily recognize the underlying 
mind stream is I'm pretty negative, grumpy, irritable. Oh. Yeah. And this sort of thing is particularly uh, crucial and critical because, of course, you know, we're, we're such thoughtful people and we deal so much in concepts and ideas, we don't necessarily really feel, feel them. Don't feel our thoughts. We get into the topic of it, and we handle the topic sometimes quite with quite detailed finesse, without really recognizing the feel of it. This is the feel of sense desire. We'll be talking about mustard and cabbages and this, that, and the other. But the underlying feel is more, I want more, I want more of that. I want more, not enough, more. Yeah. And so it's, how does that happen? How does that happen? With something in us very easily disconnects from the feeling sense. And this is not, say, uh, Vedana feeling. Although it has a feeling, it's heart sense, chitta. Heart sense. You could call it emotional sensitivity, or it's resonant. It's it's not just abstract thought. It's it's a thought that's coming with definitely the the arising of that particular topic is rising on a wave of a certain chitta mental tonality. Uh, uh, forceful, uh, uh, indifferent, uh, harsh, uh, uh, spiteful, uh, you know, pulling thing, people down, pulling things down. Uh, indifferent, doesn't really matter. Mm. And uh, greedy, more. So he's actually, you know, this is someone who's very committed to awakening, really tuning into some of these underlying tonalities and acknowledging them, acknowledging them. Mm, not, <laughs> you know. So he's done years of practice by this time, very full, full-on commitment, actually recognizing Still, these tonalities exist. His inclination exists. And then deliberately acknowledging that and seeing however true it is or allowable it is or understandable it is or blameable it is, or it's her fault, or his fault, or their fault, or my fault, or because of what I did in the past, or the way the world is, or because I'm feeling this way or another, or because I don't, not so well, or whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever. This still is, uh, this quality experience is not agreeable to me <laughs> when I feel it in my heart, it doesn't feel great. I feel sour, I feel unsettled. Uh, I feel prickly or defensive or always 
pushing for something. This is not good. And then, how could this lead to the world? But knowing it, how it affects oneself, first of all. And then how, how it affects others. It's holistic. And how it affects both. <coughs> Set up relationships which are not trusting, sharing, open, comfortable, warm. Just getting on or dismissing or ignoring other people. Mm. Recognizing this does not lead to anybody's welfare, it doesn't lead to nibbana. And uh, the phrase he uses here, the decoy, the dummy. There's such a thing as wrong mindfulness, wrong concentration. Yeah, so, that, yeah, mindful, you bear something in mind. What you're bearing in mind is not uh, samasati, it's not full, holistic, long-term effects. How does this affect myself in the long term? How does it affect others in the long term? What's the cause and condition for this? What's, you know, it's very narrow, wrong mindfulness. Yes, just bearing in mind perhaps self-interest, uh, narrow points of attention, and concentrating on that, getting absorbed in that. Wrong mindfulness. So there's such a thing as right and wrong, or samma and mitya. Samma, full, complete, nothing left out. Mitya, distorted, twisted. And this can apply to these two terms, and clearly to effort as well. And when we notice uh, this sutta, it's just first of all just, you know, opening up the package of the mind. What is the mindsets? What are, you know, what's running there? And then detecting these thought trends. And recognizing them and abandoning moving away, letting go of that thought trend so it subsides and then uh, this is just done by reflecting and considering in this meditative uh, arena, imaginative field, and just to add more to that, when we say a thought of sense desire and so forth, it's the thought of one's own sense desire, 
thoughts of the sense desire of others, the effects of sense desire, being aligned to a culture that believes in sense desire. These are not just personal foibles. Uh, We live in the sense realm and our culture is based upon five hindrances, basically. (laughs) Sense desire, ill will, restlessness, (coughs) apathy and doubt, indolence, and depression. Loss, Loss of confidence in itself. This is basically the that's the that's the benchmark of a mainstream of culture. Yeah. Sense desire. So we are kind of immersed in that. These are not just personal failings. This is the the decoy that's been set. And these are deer, like we like deer, who are not seducible by the delight of that, by the happy glow of that. And what's so attractive about your will? Why is that decoy? decoy? Why is that there? How is that there? Someone's to blame, being blamed, looked down upon, uh, assuming that that's what's happening, uh, defending oneself from others, uh, hypersensitive to any uh, comment we see as correction is always associated with punishment punishing ourselves for errors berating ourselves for slips and blind spots the response is your will what does that do it kind of it, it sort of seems to advocate a certain uh, supremacy you know, when we put other things down we feel morally superior and everybody's kind of doing that so we notice how racial inferior people inferior people who the ego doesn't become apparent at first until there's a bit of pressure and then, oh, it's those darkies or something, or the other Jews or something. Suddenly, yeah. yeah. you know, the, when the cover comes off, and we feel there's potential to see other with a mind that uh, dumps, blames, accuses. Women, men, you know, however it is. And this fragmentation that occurs, cruelty, indifference, lack of sensitivity, lack of respect for others, indifference to not really tuning into how it feels to be in her shoes, how it feels to be in his position. Not my problem. 
get on with it. What it feels, how it feels, my how I affect others. Yeah. You know, very much in our own bubble. And this is very much the mainstream of our, our society. Everybody's in their own little bubble. And get it for yourself. And get on top. Be in the winning team. And uh, it's very defensive. And it's very critical. And it's very competitive. Higher and lower. So this, uh, you know, is very, it's kind of like endemic, really. And we're infected with it. So the mode of of, uh, attention becomes pretty narrow. Self on your own. Get for yourself. Mm. <coughs> and doesn't make people happy, comfortable, relaxed, easeful. It doesn't provide harmony in relationships. The bigger picture is spills out into national and environmental. Uh, ignorance how do we abandon this and we recognize it without adding more criticism and hurt and should be and am not and we, and we, and we just to acknowledge these experiences as they are as they arise how do we abandon it mm. now what I'm one thing I'm suggesting is the very mode of mind uh, of our uh, current day in our societies is a kind of one-pointed thing. It's a point that lasts for a split second and then on to the next thing. It's the point, the moving cursor on the screen. It's the signal that blips for a moment and gives us the next signal. It's the word that leads to the next word. It's this kind of blip, 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 point, point, point. And so the mind is always moving on to the next point. And the idea being that eventually you get enough points to create a whole thing. And so when we, of course, when we look on a page, we see these black things and mind skips across it. And we feel we've read the page. But what we didn't notice was all the white space between the letters, within the letters, around the letters. We didn't notice that at all. 
we're rushing on to get to the end. We probably skipped over a lot of the text to get to the end, the next piece. <laughs> That's the kind of mindset. Even when you, you know. now, when the mind is doing that. And that's with definite focus, intention, even concentration to do that. What kind of mind state is that? It's it's tight, it's wanting to has to get to the end, it's taking information in and making up a meaning. It's trying to make a wholeness out of a series of points. So, so just imagine you know, a forest dweller, as the Buddha and the disciples were, and very much lived and enjoyed the forest. And a lot of time it's terrain in the forest is rough. There's roots, there's pits, there's marshes, there's creatures, there's all kinds of stuff. It's dim, a lot of the time it's dark. How do you move around in that? How do you find your way in that? You don't look at one point. You have to be aware of everything. Even the pieces that aren't there. The silences. That's interesting. I wonder what's that? It's gone very quiet over there. I wonder what that means. Could be a, a, a tiger. So all the other animals have gone quiet. The silences count. The sounds count, the smells count, the texture of the ground beneath your feet counts, the direction of the wind counts, how the state of your body counts, am I tired, am I alert, am I sick, everything counts. You're not aware of anything, you're aware of everything. And that's the way you get survive. You're on the lookout for everything at the same time. Now, to the literary mind, this does not make sense. You scramble, running round and round and round to try and pick up all the points. No, you don't scramble. What you do is you defocus from the points, and you find there's another quality of mind that opens up, which we call chitta or heart, which only operates holistically. Oh, I'm aware, sensitive, receptive. There's lots of unknowns here, therefore I will listen. I'll not try to plug up the unknowns, I'll let the unknowns form as they will. My mind will then be alert, not planning, not fearing, not craving, not projecting, not getting lost in dreams, daydreams, not remembering anything, not pondering something, just alert, attentive, open. And this would be the best way to get through this forest. If I've got a road map in my mind, it's not going to work. Even like listening to a series of instructions, it's not going to work. I have to be attentive vague sense there is a way through uh, you can do it and now trust open trust open everything up we are born here 
we are creatures of this planet we are capable of it like a deer does they don't have maps and you know sat, sat navs <laughs> and menus <laughs> they just and as of course as people of the land have done for centuries they just get fit get aware that's it light a candle maybe if you light a candle you realise that light creates as much darkness as it does light so better just to train your eyes to pause and swing around and see things that way move more slowly move tentatively move as a whole body listening attentive isn't that more the mode you try it you try walking in a forest at night how you get by that's how you do it you know literary mind is let's get on let's get focused on the point this to that this to that the next 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 that's in the past next forest mind doesn't do that So if we move to that, then you sense this quality of craving is actually obstructive to that uh, clarity. And you realize it also doesn't just obstruct mental clarity, it has a definite effect. It's like you're a slightly drugged effect. Mm-hmm. I mean, we get, I guess we get so used to being drugged by some expectation, some plan, some possibility in the future, uh, some set of notions and ideas. The decoy is exceptionally powerful. Mm-hmm. Of course perhaps less to do with the core senses, often to do with the mental sense, expectation to get to the right place where I will be, you know, how things are going to be, figure, you know, where it will be glowing and I'll be happy and comfortable, the glow of it. No, no, this isn't. What does it feel like now? And you feel a certain drugged, uh, narrowed state. Once you recognize it, you refer back to the more whole state. It's rather like pulling a knife out of butter. Ooh, it's like just taking a glove off your hand. Oh, no, this is better. Oh, no, I can sense things more clearly without that glove on. ill will it's such a broad term a lack of benevolence lack of benevolence that one has towards others and of course lack of benevolence one has towards oneself and of course the effects of the lack of benevolence that others have had upon one Uh, feeling cowed dismissed uh, 
lessened. Looking at others in that way as lesser, unworthy, and so on. How's that? Now it's not a matter of praising everyone, it's just recognizing this, this quality does me no good. Can I just withdraw and not necessarily have a clear picture of myself or of others? Not have a clear picture. And this is the kind of the big sacrifice for the rational mind, is this quality of jitta is not clear in terms of object definition. You're never quite sure what things are, but you're pretty clued into what you're feeling, to what your heart senses about. I feel peaceful and balanced. I don't know. But I know that if I start to create that object too rapidly, sharpen up on it, there's there's a decoy there that gets attention itself is not neutral attention is often the problem attention rivets things into place finalizes fixates things that's that he's that this is that that's that it's this time it's that time it's his job it's that place rivets it and within that as a kind of eerie security which makes me stupid and insensitive and inflexible. And we like it, strange enough, because it's fixed, final. Now I know where I am. And of course, this kind of quality of the fixation is particularly susceptible to systems such as ours, where you've got day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, ten o'clock, bell rings at this time. It's exceptionally susceptible to this kind of um, thing. Oh, it's seven o'clock, I do this, eight o'clock, I do that. Uh, He's the work monk, he does that. I'm this, I'm not that. And just how you gives certain fixity which is useful as a, as a basic template but then these defilements creep around it and we see people purely as roles and functions and not as fellow human beings. What's it like to be her in her position? What's it like to be him who just got here two months ago and has only been in the holy life struggling for the last nine months, you know. What's it like to be him? <laughs> What's it like to be a newcomer here? Yeah. And that, oh, he's just one of those. Bop, bop, bop. Yeah. This kind of cruelty or lack of sensitivity, lack of, yeah, and uh, pigeonholing, because it gives a certain structural um, security, stability, which it does. But the vein of it is we end up going to sleep in it. We dull out in it. 
and get bored in it. So even though it, we can we can make it stable enough so I know where I am, where I am essentially is eventually kind of boring, really, <laughs> and closed. I'm on top of it all, but what's the point of being on top of that? Just doing my stuff again, you know, playing toys in my with my toys in my room because it's nine o'clock and I can do that until ten. <laughs> What's the point of living like that? You know, you're in the forest. What's happening? Nothing's happening. Let's quiet down. Something's happening. Let's rise up. You know, and the sense of the whole. We look out. Generally, well, my encouragement, inclination, particularly in communities, you, you sense the whole, which is not these three people and that person, but the whole. It's difficult to describe as a series of points. You just constantly keep shifting to that open sensitivity and how things going. And you just notice details come up. Okay, and it's that balancing that is the, the balancing act between that's kind of important but not urgent okay that's that's urgent that's important and that's useful and that's interesting but what we'll deal with right now is this sensing these things and generally trying to say the most important thing is we maintain the home base Otherwise, everything's going to go not towards Nibbana. We just might become good, effective community members, but which is better than being the other, but it's not Nibbanic unless we really include ourselves in it. You know, ourselves, I mean our jittas. How is that? We're just becoming incredibly busy, yeah. Irritated, overwhelmed, mm. open up, abandon. There is a place. So then, Bodhisattva, the Buddha is saying, "Well, then I, having abandoned, then my mind settled, steadied, came to singleness." concentrated mm. so, uh, so this is uh, uh, right now he's not particularly focusing on a, on a point he's focusing instead on the general state of mind I think to me this is quite a crucial piece which you can consider and disagree with but this is the way I'm reflecting and considering it because I don't see the Buddha's now focusing on a particular point anywhere apart from his jitta <laughs> and saying then when you, these things subside and then you begin to relinquish the pondering considering your mind settles quiets, comes to singleness it means it has a unified intention it's no longer this, that, this, that but steadied and therefore consolidated 
So in this way, concentration, this sense, is a sense of unified intention. Heart is unified. This is the path. This is this way. So this really precedes. Then he goes on to developing jhana and so forth. But this precedes that. And I would say the preliminary concentration that is required is to have a certain this is the path. This is this is right view. This is right intention. This is right because it feels right. How do I know it feels right? I've got a system that will tell me it feels right, not just an idea in my head. Not just associated with particular external signs and signals, but associated with a quality of a mind that is settled, steadied, quiet, and how is that? It's not compressed. We say, it's what I'm referring to, this basic state of uh, embodied awareness knowingness as I was mentioning certain key features of that there's a certain mm, stillness about it it's not going forward it's not spinning round it's not pushing anywhere it's not a certain openness, it's not closing anything down. It's not shutting anything off. It's not wincing or moving away from things. It's a certain stillness, a certain openness. To what? Well, that's the that's one of the main and interesting qualities is when with stillness and openness, it's not towards sense data. It's towards mind. Because this is what covers all of it. Isn't it? You can see a sight that occupies 1% of the field of your attention. You can hear a sound that blips through for a half a second. But what is the unified state is not a sense condition. It's a state of mind, which is always everything. The mind is always everything. There's nothing you experience outside of mind. The mind is always everything. And the details can keep rising up within that everything. So now we're really entering citta, entering mind. Still, it's open. What else is there? A certain stability, a groundedness. And then you might detect the quality of body as a stable, grounded presence. You have a, a location. Here, presence, I call it. You linger in that, you're fine, but in that there's a certain energy certain vibrancy or vitality, 
a kind of warmth. There's that. It's comfortable. It's comforting. It's, it gives you comfort. It never leaves you. And there's a knowing. You know without a thought. It's so obvious. You always It was always there. But generally we immediately moved into thinking and planning and comparing. But prior to that, the knowing. Is that right? You know, as soon as you use the word like knowing, it's already gone <laughs> into, into a thought, isn't it? You could say it's a sense of I. As that which is intelligent, sensitive, acute, and knowingness. Those are not located in space. That is, wherever you walk around, it's exactly it's the same. It's not located in time. It doesn't... There's not a Thursday knowing and an October presence. It's not located in Nigeria or Holland or Britain or whatever or Chithurst, then you've got a reference point. It's not located in the sense realm, it's not lo- create, located in the world of mental constructions. And space, geographical space, is a mental construction. It works pretty well in terms of the constructed world, in terms of direct reality. It's very, it's, it has little relevance. Even in terms of locating different parts of your body, it doesn't really work. When you have a pain in your foot, it doesn't stay in your foot. Yeah, it affects everything. And when you have a pain in your mind, it affects everything. When you have a pain in your mind, it affects your actions, your thoughts, your perspectives, your sense of yourself, your sense of other people, your sense of what you should do, sense of what you shouldn't do. It affects everything. And we construct a world based upon pain. Dukkha. Unsatisfactory put up with it, get on with it. That's the way it is. Experiencing such a condition in subtler and grosser forms, most people don't want to experience it. I don't want to know that. Let me go to sleep somewhere. Let me find a hidey hole somewhere. Let me drink something. Let me go somewhere where I can just pull the blanket over and not have to realise how lost this world is how lost I am in it and some of course are desperate enough to say there's got to be a way out of this and it's not going to come through running around from place to place or from popping new sense objects into my system 
This comes through meeting it and abandoning the roots of that, the causes of that, which are not external. They may have started being external, or seemingly so, but they're internalized. We've swallowed the the hook. Abandon it. Basically, we shift our attention out of space and time, out of coming and going, into the whole. Use your body for this, use a scenario such as this. It's a refuge, use the, the refuge place for this, just to open to all of it as it's happening to you. Much of it is seemingly just irrelevant stuff waffling through, trivia, da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, just, you know, ponder more deeply. And being in your body will help to at least shake off some of the superfluous material disengaging from topics, conversations, emails, da-da-da-da-da, will certainly help to dislodge some of the just purely circumstantial details that we go out to, and you'll come down to the basic conditions, factors, structures that you have to uproot. This is the point of a retreat, group retreat. witnessing some of the results of our confusion, of our loss of attention, or our wrong attention, our wrong mindfulness. Not blaming it, but recognizing, oh, that's how it happened, got lost in that, got decoyed by that, bought into that, subscribed to that. Seems so real. Of course it's real. Once it enters your mind, it becomes everything. You build a world around it. That's the nature, it's a whole system. When we enter into this whole system, this whole awareness, the other primary support has to be, okay, the beautiful, the sacred, the true, the refuge, the goodwill, the awakening, the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, the precepts, the virtue, the faith, you know, you name it. Whichever, all, it's everything. It's all the good. It's the Kalyana Dhamma. However that manifests, whatever detail you pick up, inject it into the mind or put it into the mind so that becomes everything. And you begin to use the good to saturate and push out the obstructive because that's the way it is if you linger in the good it by itself and you take it in and it expand as if you know, through the whole system it's bigger it cleans out by itself 
our practice is to to create generate the openness and the willingness to let that work and coming up against my negativities my my feeling of inadequacy my complaints and bitterness my craving and hunger my desperation and loss these are not mine per se these are the infections we're touching that with the mind of goodwill goodwill steadying comforting with the body touching that spaciousness with that this is the path through the wilderness the Tathagata has opened up in many details in many similes in many figures of speech in much encouragement and uh, we now we recollect with gratitude we come up we recognize with gratitude hey we've got a chance just to remember the chance it could go in a day this construction could just blow away in a day government order they could shut us down in a day literally you know if we so wished mm-hmm. disease could knock us down in a day yeah it could do it the gratitude that we've, we've somehow come into this inherited this and let that rise and how can I bring forth for my own welfare first of all for the welfare of others and for the welfare of both yeah. this is our exhortation mode of practice uh, to keep expressing in different ways in different means but this is an outline um, to start off with <laughs>